happy to do that, but now then, I want, my question is, when you go to work tomorrow, and somebody says to you, what did you do at the weekend? Will you, and only you can answer this question, and I don't want to see anybody's eyes, but will you be as free to say to people, well, we went out on, for a meal on Friday night, did something good on Saturday, and we were in church on Sunday. Will you feel as free to tell people where you were here on Sunday morning as you were free to talk, turn round to one another and speak about the scriptures to one another? Because, oh, I think you've got some of my notes there as well, have you? Oh, well, that's good. So I've arrived without notes. So, hallelujah. Here we go. <coughs> one, of the, uh, one of the propositions of the... the Church Without Walls, a bunch of people, is the changing of mindsets, but moving from this particular mindset, moving from settled church to movement, going where people are, rather than expecting people to come to us. And this whole idea of sort of, we can share, we can share, we can share, can we share out there? There's a divide for some people. It's not so easy to do it out there as it is here. And there's a good reason for that, because we're all brothers and sisters here. We have the same spirit. So we're free to do it here. But in actual fact, um, if this is the only place we do it, or the only place we are free to talk about this vibrant faith which we have living within us, then in fact there is no movement going on. Movement suggests moving from a centre and moving out. It's what the Gospel did, isn't it? Jesus uh, uh, said, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, and that's what happened. And the signal that that was his intention was on the day of Pentecost, which we remembered last week. Because you remember 15 different nation groups heard the language in their tongue. And then after the Feast of Pentecost, this uh, sort of half a million or two million people, however it was, sort of dispersed throughout the Roman Empire and, and, uh, and went back to Rome, this new gospel. It was, it's a movement. Now then, if it stays here there's something seriously wrong, either with us, corporately, or there's a problem for us individually. Now, the last thing I want to do is to get, get us into kind of guilt syndromes here, because we've got Jesus who is a saviour. And what we want to honour today is Jesus who is a saviour, and we want to concentrate ultimately on Jesus rather than upon ourselves. But if there is a problem with moving beyond this place in sharing simply and in and openly without sort of being, without being all sort of evangelical hyper-jargony, you know, just sharing the fact that we're Christians and we pray and we were in church and, oh, well, do you mind if I, when I go home, do you mind if I pray for you about that? Or, oh, you know, just talking naturally about our faith. If there's a problem, then you need to sort it out yourself with the Lord, knowing that he's a wonderful saviour and he's right and ready to help you this morning before we leave the place. So this is not about guilt. This is about hope and prospect, you see. If you throw a stone into a pond, the ripples go out. And for a while, the ripples keep on going out. That's movement. When the center is still, the ripples stop going out. So the first thing I want to ask you personally is... In relation to God, have you come to a standstill? Let me, 
quote a woman leader from a Bristolian church who during this week said to me uh, and the bunch of people we were talking together with, she said, I get so angry sometimes with those people who have been Christians for 5, 10, 15, 20 or even longer years and they still come to along to church as consumers. Now I don't know, I've seen, I don't know you well enough yet, thank goodness, to be say of any of you that you are just here as a consumer. But it is part of our culture. And so I just want to sort of throw it out. Let the Holy Spirit take it on wings if it's relevant. If you've been a Christian for X number of years and you are still here just as a consumer, you've come to get and you're not intending to give anything to God or to one another in the fellowship or anything like that, then actually you have stagnated. Because you know as a Christian that the scripture tells you to keep your own heart diligently. It doesn't tell me to keep your own heart diligently. It doesn't tell the, the, the pastoral group to keep your heart diligently. It tells you to keep your heart diligently in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're still on... We're, the other week we were told to feed on the pure milk of the word as babies. Well, let's continue as children to feed on the pure milk of the word. Best told us that on the day that your little daughter was born. And you were, knew all about babies feeding on pure milk on that day, didn't you? Yes. So let's keep feeding on that pure milk of the scripture. But let's be mature and not children after 5, 10, 15 years who still need to be spoon-fed Paul got really angry with people in the Corinthian church over that. Still, he says, you need to be spoon-fed when you should be feeding other people. So if in your particular case, the wings of the Spirit take this to you and say you've stagnated, before we get to the end, I want you to remember there's a Saviour who loves you so desperately that he is not trying to put a guilt trip on you. He's trying to wake you up to bless you to renew you, to restore you, to make it like it was for you again when you first believed. Now, isn't that awesome? Do you remember that day when you first believed? Do you remember the excitement? Do you remember how you babbled almost incoherently about how brilliant Jesus was? Well, we don't want you to be incoherent, and we don't want you to babble, but we want you to be renewed in the sheer joy of Jesus Christ. If you've stagnated, then there's no movement. Okay, We need to move out. Now, this whole idea of a change of mindset, actually, and I've said this again, and you'll probably get fed up with me over the next few weeks, change of mindset is quite literally repentance. Greek word, metanoia. English translation, repentance. Significance, change of mind and attitude. That's what it's all about. So when we're talking about changing attitudes, we are actually talking about a continuing process of becoming more like Christ. There are things in my life, Lord, which are not consistent with your life. So I must change my mind about those things. I want to be more consistent in Jesus. Help me by your spirit. I repent, I change my mind, I change my attitude. That's what it's all about. Now the for there to be a movement, a, a missional movement, moving out of this church 
through one another, rippling through the way that we care for one another and rippling out to the places where we work and sort of uh, socialize and so on. Um, for that to happen, we have to remember that we are living under different conditions to the conditions we were living in before we were Christians. You see, it's not by might, it's by the Spirit of God that we came to know Christ. It's not by human knowledge or understanding, it's by the Spirit's revelation that we came to recognize Christ and worship and love him. And we were transferred, we were rescued from this world, the spiritual, the spiritual attitudes of the world around us. We were rescued from those attitudes and brought into the life of Christ and under the rule of God, under the rule of God's kingdom. And this is a spiritual issue. And for some of us, and I've been well and truly a part of this at times, um, God has had to bring me back so many times, and even over these last couple of weeks has had to be bringing me back over things. Um, we're in a process, individually and together here, but we're living under the rule of Christ. And this world, though it doesn't realize it, and we don't like saying this in the 21st century, is living under the auspices of the ruler of this world, who is Satan, who's a liar and a deceiver and a murderer from the beginning. So this world has all its remedies and panaceas and ideas of, of greatness and wealth and purpose and so on, but they are not God's ways. Christ's ways turn this world upside down. Have I said this to you before? Forgive me if I have. You've got ten commandments. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and soul and mind and strength. And then you've got three commandments that follow it. And those commandments are all about the love of God and how we express that love of God. And then from the fifth commandment downwards, you shall honor your father and your mother as yourself. And it goes all the way down. You've got six commandments which end with you shall not covet. And they are all the way that we, through our relationship with God, then interact with one another justly, kindly, fairly. It's the way we love our neighbor, in obedience to God, because we love God. Now, you look at this world. If you ask, I've asked many people who have got no connection with Jesus Christ at all, what would you say is one of the fundamental things about the way we live life? And after we've talked about it a bit, they almost always come up with the idea of greed. Greed permeates our society, our business, our government, our international relationships. Greed. Now, where does greed figure on that, in those ten commandments? Well, it's number ten. Thou shalt not, you shall not covet, which Paul calls greed or idolatry. So if one of the fundamental things that rules this world that we live in in the rest, Western world, at least, is greed. And if that's top of some most or many people's list, then what's happened to the rest? As soon as you get greedy, then you can soon, well, it's to your best. Maybe it's for your good that you put some people down and you act unjustly. That's this world's thinking. Maybe uh, 
It doesn't matter so much if you steal your neighbor's wife, because greed operates. It doesn't matter if you steal and put other people down. It doesn't matter if conglomerates put down the poor of, of, the, sort of, of the third world, because we're doing this for our greed and our profit. Do you see what I mean? I'm not saying this happens in every place, but I'm saying that as soon as greed becomes that dominant theme, then everything else gets turned up on its head. And where does God end? Bottom of the list. Now we're working in that world, which is the reverse, much of which is operating the reverse of divine principles. And we are part of the kingdom rule of God. We've been made citizens of heaven, obedient Christ. Now I had a long chat with you the other day on the men's weekend and you changed my opinion about profit. I'm not saying that all profit is greed. I'm not saying that. So the movement out is a movement out about Jesus Christ who rescues us from this world which is so wrong that it is upside down unjust, atheistic, idolatrous destructive okay so for there to be a movement of Jesus out from here each of us individually and we corporately have to take stock of ourselves because movement doesn't begin out of sheer duty does it commitment to the church alone does not create movement in Christ. Passion is what does that. When my passion in Christ is renewed, then my desire will be to express him in living, in attitude, when possible in words. When my passion is alight for Jesus, as it was when I first believed. So, I want to bring us and me, because I include myself in this well and truly, believe me, back to some basics. Great crowds were accompanying Jesus and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me, I'm going to give an explanation to this bit in a moment, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower Yes, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And then he gives these um, illustrations of towers and armies, you know. If you intend to do this, make sure you've got the wherewithal to finish it. Now then, I'm sure that when you were baptized at the beginning of your faith, your minister or ministers brought something like this to you. You know what you're embarking on, they would have said. This is not a holiday. This is a lifetime commitment. And this is a commitment in which you are saying, all of me is all for Jesus. You went down into the water and you said, all of me, Lord Jesus, is all for you. And he said to his disciples that you could be baptized into his name, into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what is that if it's not God present and saying, and all of me is all for you? Isn't that brilliant? When you were baptized into Christ, God said, all of me is all for you. And you said, all of you is all for him. 
So you would have counted the cost. Well, have the years shaved away that commitment so that it's no longer a passion? It's simply a duty. Think about it. This thing about loving Jesus more than father and mother and wife. I've been reminded, I have to write articles for a little magazine and I find it really difficult because it's a monthly column and oh, and I just started writing this week, oh, there are bits of being a Christian I don't like. <laughs> Actually, it's better to say I don't enjoy them. And it's the times when Christ highlights things in my life which um, God doesn't like. Things which have to go if I'm going to be an authentic follower of Jesus. And I'm reminded of the time a year after my first believed when some Christian friends began to make these throwaway comments and I began to wonder whether they were making insinuations. Uh, could they be accusing me of things? What, what is this? Uh, but they were friends. I, and then one of them came up to me and uh, he said, uh, Brother. <laughs> yes, I know. Oh, dear. It was, it's one of those oh, dear moments, you know. Brother. God has given me a scripture for you. <clears throat> okay. Um, thank you, said I. What is that? And he read from James. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This isn't the wisdom that comes down from above. This is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Because where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. And my heart is now going... Boom, 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 boom. How dare he? And then it goes on, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And I immediately knew that that was the bit for me. But it niggled me that he'd given me a passage about uh, selfish ambition and bitter jealousy. And I found myself getting more and more sarcastic about this guy. And about this time, there was a family funeral and uh, I was a new driver, and my dad let me drive up the motorway. It was a foul, foul journey. And when we got up there, it was the usual doer kind of a kind of funeral, sort of a bunch of unbelievers and a minister who didn't know the deceased from Adam. You know the kind of thing that sometimes happens. And, uh, and we all went back to the house, and then the wine and the, and the beer came out. And slowly the temperature, slowly they became the raucous family I belonged to. And I sat in a corner and noticed how, I noticed the sarcasm and the competitive edge and the humour that had barbs in it directed at one another. And I sat there thinking, this is the family, this describes me. I'm part of this family. This is somehow part of our family psyche. And the journey home, all the storms had finished, it was a beautiful evening, but inside I was raging. And where it says things like um, where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder and every vile practice, my head for the next week was filled with disorder and evil and wicked thoughts. And I was so angry with God that he could dare to say that our family likeness wasn't good enough for him until in the end... I was so, so uptight, I eventually cried out to God 
to deliver me, to release me, to set me free from this. And that night I had a dream, a very weird dream. It was a house, it was something like the theatre of my heart, and there were these two characters in it. And one was sort of a, a, sort of a very demanding and selfish, and when he didn't get his own way, he just flopped over the back of the seat and sulked. And the other one was very raucous and, and demanding and stood up and roared and shouted. And Jesus was in this room and he silenced them. And these two characters bowed down to Jesus. And at that moment in my spiritual life, one family likeness gave way to another When we're counting the cost, we're counting the cost of following Jesus, his ways rather than our ways. He has rescued us from the futile ways inherited from our fathers. So a change of mindset, that liberated me. I didn't dare tell anything to my wife, Dee. Um, I, I woke up in the middle of this awful or incredible dream and went back into it again and looked at her and she was totally undisturbed totally undisturbed and I said nothing to her but two weeks later she said what's happened to you you're different and my friends never mentioned it again if you start mentioning it now I shall get worried <laughs> here's another scripture about what brings us to a passion for God, out of which movement begins. This is Paul. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God I appeal to you, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Now then, this, he says, is spiritual worship. We present our bodies. I do like the way the message puts this one goes something like this take your everyday ordinary life your sleeping eating going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him don't become so well adjusted in your culture that you fit into it without even thinking instead fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. We want to become a missional church without walls then the passion has to be alive in our souls. And now I see that it's 5 to 12, and I had more to say, and I saw two people yawn. So I'm going to take a hint from that, because we carry on next week anyway. <laughs> and I'm just going to ask you to think about that. Easy to talk with one another here. What happens if they ask you at work tomorrow? Have you gone stagnant inside? Do you need God's stone 
thrown into the midst of you again to get those ripples and that passion going. Now, if some of you, or one of you, or maybe many of you, are really feeling, he said he wouldn't put guilt on us, and I feel quite guilty now, well, forgive me, because that wasn't my intention. But remember, the people that Jesus welcomed were the people who actually felt they weren't worthy. Isn't that amazing? The church folk, the high priests and the scribes, many of them rejected him. Many of the Pharisees rejected him. Later the priests joined in, later some of the Pharisees did, and so on. But many of the sort of self-confident religious people rejected Jesus. But it was the ordinary person who weren't considered fit for the synagogue. <laughs> the ordinary people who'd messed up, got it wrong, gone stagnant, didn't think they stood a chance anymore, came to Jesus. And the good news was this, the God they didn't want to face was walking around in their midst saying, come to me. And instead of striking them down dead, he was healing them and blessing them <laughs> and lifting them up and encouraging them and saying, I want you guys with me. Welcome. That is the good news. The good news is that God wants you, however bad you happen to be feeling today, and he doesn't want you to feel bad for very long. He wants, you to, say, he wants to hear you say, God, you see how I feel? Oh, after those things that were read, oh, Lord, I don't dare to come to you, but you say, come, and he says, oh, not half, run to me. Run to me. And I will rescue you. I will heal you. I will touch you. I will fill you with the Spirit again. I will renew you. I will bless you. I will let you know that my presence is with you today and for always. Hallelujah. That really is good news, isn't it?